0: This is Collected Clan, episode 17.
1: But for me, the art is like my sacred place, and I don't want it to ever not be. Because that's when it becomes something that I don't want it to be in my life. I don't want
0: it. Welcome to another edition of Collected Clan, the podcast featuring conversational biographies of relatable people with real stories of triumph and tragedy, plus successes and setbacks. I'm your host, Gregory Byerline. People often come and go, but these people are the company you keep. everyday people making their mark. In our previous episode, I visited with Tony Caldwell, a renowned hairdresser, entrepreneur, and fantastic conversationalist. We talked about his firsthand experience behind the scenes at many New York Fashion Weeks, his path to owning his own salon, and how he approaches each individual client who comes to him to look their best. Plus, the fragility of the human body, the Me Too movement, and several other unexpected twists. Be sure you hear that conversation, too. There's a bonus segment about how to detox your bathroom products. You know, your shampoo and cosmetics. For our producer circle supporters on our Patreon page at patreoncom clan. That's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash collectedclan. We are 100% listener supported here, and your financial support keeps these episodes commercial free, with an emphasis on supporting nonprofit organizations selected by our guests. My guest today is Lauren Phelps. Lauren is an accomplished creative entrepreneur. I first knew Lauren as she achieved great success with her clothing line, Leona, then as a client when I had the opportunity to photograph several seasonal lookbooks of her fashion designs. She has continued her creative endeavors since then and now lives in New York, where she continued her work in fashion, then turned into an even deeper creative direction, which, of course, we talk about here. And as always, we feature a nonprofit spotlight selected by our guest, Visit the show notes to see photos of Lauren's work at CollectedClan.com slash Lauren Phelps and learn more about the nonprofit organization that Lauren supports. Kick back and enjoy this conversation with Lauren Phelps. Welcome to Collected Clan, Lauren.
1: Thank you so much. I'm excited to catch up. It's been a while.
0: It has been a while. And I was thinking back how we met, and uh, I first heard the name, your maiden name, Lauren Leonard, through Nashville Fashion Week when you received an award. Tell me about that award.
1: The Nashville Fashion Forward Fund uh, was the award, and uh, it was amazing because it gave me the opportunity to travel internationally. When when I was first given the award, I thought it was going to be like a, a monetary prize, and I remember having this conversation with Marsha and Connie, you know, some of the co-founders of National Fashion Week and said, well, you know, I really need some new computers for my office. And they're like, all these things that I needed. And they're like, no, 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 this has to be experiential. And I'm just such a pragmatic person that that was so hard for me to come up with something to utilize that on and but then it actually wasn't hard in the end because I ended up going to Paris so,
0: well there you go so it
1: wasn't so it was amazing and it was a great honor and you know Nashville fashion has just evolved so much
0: it really has
1: since I arrived in Nashville and to now it's I'm even more proud to be a part of that history and that community. And I still feel very much a part of the Nashville community, even though I'm not physically there anymore.
0: Was all this in the very first Nashville Fashion Week?
1: No, I was a part of the inaugural Fashion Week in Nashville, but I want to say this was maybe their second or third year. I'm not positive for the award, but I was very humbled and thankful to be recognized for sure.
0: What have you been able to do with that recognition? I know you said you went to Paris and you described what it was intended for. Right. How did that springboard your endeavors?
1: Well, since then I've gone back to Paris many times. You know, it I think it was sort of the beginning of the rest of my career in a lot of ways because I I, I wanted to, to act more globally. I wanted to source more globally. And so from just a practical standpoint, that's what it allowed me to do. I was able to attend their fabric trade show, I guess is, is what I would call it, and really meet with vendors that I've been working with for a long time. But um, as far as a springboard, definitely provided more visibility which was amazing and they were right there there was a reason they wanted it to be an experience instead of just something to help fund your business is that those those things really do help you develop as an artist as a designer as um, as an entrepreneur and, and and that's what it did
0: what was the experience what, what was it intended to do for the winning designer?
1: It was intended to do whatever that designer wanted it to do for them. I see. There was no real, and I don't know how it's evolved since then because this was, you know, if, quite a few years ago. But, you know, at that time, you know, I had to have it approved through them of what I wanted to do. But it was something that was important for my trajectory. So I think that it just depended on what I saw as, as important for, for my business, if that makes sense.
0: It does. And from there, you launched your own line?
1: Uh, well, no, I, I already had my own line. Okay. So I launched my company when I was 22, 23. I can't ever recall the exact age, <laughs> but um, I was fresh out of college. So they were actually recognizing the work I had done Um, with that company which was Leona no I I launched that fresh out of school
0: so you then you brought the line to Nashville Fashion Week received the award and then that further springboarded you so it wasn't really a launch it was a springboard exactly into the next steps next phases yes where did it go from there
1: from there of let's see you're asking me to go back in time a little bit here. <laughs> so uh, from there, you know, the the Nashville fashion scene was just sort of starting to explode. And I was really excited to be a part of all of that. We really were able to establish a retail presence in 12 South, which, you know, now is just <laughs> booming and the biggest the biggest thing happening from a retail standpoint and we were you know one of the few on the beginning of that and really you know we made a lot of efforts to bring the neighborhood together and for it to be recognized as a retail hub in nashville So we were able to really grow the business because we got this local recognition. We were an international company already, but it's important that you have a strong connection with your headquarters, with with that local community.
0: Having a flagship store from which you can fly your flag and then also branch out internationally. Exactly. So did the international aspect happen first?
1: Yes. So we were already sold in about 300 doors internationally. Specialty retailers. Yeah, it was, it was really kind of about the next phase of the business at that point, which was going more direct to consumer because we'd always been wholesale working through our retail partners. And this is our first opportunity to really be one-on-one with, with our customers, which was very exciting.
0: Yeah, that was a cute little shop.
1: Thanks. <laughs> it was very cool.
0: What were some of those 300 doors around the country? Were they uh, mom and pop independent retailers or were they chains?
1: A little bit of both, but predominantly mom and pop independent retailers.
0: The local boutique scene.
1: Mm-hmm. And all, yeah, all around, whether it was Tokyo or or resort cities in the Caribbean or you know, it was it was everywhere so it was a pretty amazing um, experience.
0: Yeah and the line was gorgeous. I had uh, uh, it was a distinct honor to shoot several lookbooks for you and uh, it was just so cool to see the different color palettes that you pulled together and the textures and the silhouettes and all that stuff. where does where did that come from? Where did that fashion design aesthetic for you? Come from?
1: Well, I born in Alabama, as you know. And, um, <laughs> roll so, Tide! <laughs> roll Tide! Feel free, the, feel
0: free to shout Roll Tide yeah. anytime you want to, because I know <laughs> that the okay. crimson, the crimson do the, does that. Yeah.
1: Yes. <laughs> um, no, definitely. So you know the aesthetic of the brand, and so much about the brand had to do with you know where i grew up and what was around me at the time actually a huge part of my decision to part ways with that business was that i had you know i had launched this company at 22 or 23 and i was creating something for that customer that i was surrounded with you know young southern maybe a little bit preppy you know the prints and and all of these things and I kind of felt like I had outgrown her a little bit. You know, like I couldn't relate to her as much anymore. She, ha- she was very much a part of who I was and who, and who I grew up with and a part of my DNA as a person as a designer, but it wasn't authentically who I was on a deeper level. So it became a, it became, more and more difficult for me or more challenging for me to design for that customer. Like I just had this desire to be more true to how I was feeling um, internally, if that makes sense. You know, a lot happens in your life between 22 and I don't know, however old I was, 30.
0: Yeah. So you, for lack of a better term, you just kind of outgrew that Business uh, aesthetic.
1: The aesthetic, yeah. Your
0: aesthetic moved on, and you didn't want to take Leona's aesthetic to where you were going.
1: It's hard to rebrand something that has a customer base. That's true. I had very happy customers that loved what I was designing, and I loved creating it for her. But at the same time, the fashion calendar is so rigorous and we were delivering 12 times a year. That's essentially 12 mini collections a year. That's a lot of designing and designing is like giving birth to something over and over and over again. And if it's not coming from a very, I hate the word authentic because it's so overused, but if it's not coming from a real place, then it's taxing creatively. It's no longer the total joyful experience that, creating should be. (laughs) So
0: So is it safe to say that it, it at one time was uh, like an easy flow. It would just kind of happened organically and then it became a kind of drudge work.
1: I would say it was an easier flow for sure. You know, I still had those moments of it, like, you know, everything um, lighting up and, you know, during that design process. But for the most part, I felt very, tied to what I felt like I needed to create for you know for my customer and for my stores which there's always like a piece of that anytime you're creating a product you know you really have to tweak your vision but when it becomes that much it didn't feel real for me anymore you know the company was real and the people that I worked with were real and they all meant the world to me But I couldn't create from that place. That's like a very different thing.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I was was curious because I did a little homework and I saw where at one point, perhaps throughout the entire time, but you, your title for Leona was CEO and I was surprised it wasn't like chief creative officer. It was chief executive officer. Was there some intentionality behind that?
1: You know, there was really no intention behind that. It's actually kind of funny. You know, I always think think about being out with my husband or something, and he would introduce me as, "Oh, Lauren's a fashion designer," and that would always catch me off guard. I would say, "I'm a, I'm a what?" <laughs> <laughs> I love to create and I love to design, and I've I, I've been doing those things my entire life. But first and foremost, I've always loved the big picture you know? So I would say, well, yeah, design, but that's like, you know, 10% of what I do. So Right. <laughs> like, yeah. That's,
0: that's part of the overall vision that an yeah. executive would have. Right. The other part of that pie was you enjoyed like the building of the business.
1: Yeah. The entrepreneurship sure. of it. Oh, 100%. Before I even knew I wanted to you know, design clothes or have a fashion company. I just knew I wanted to have a company, you know, I mean, I was definitely interested in fashion and designing, but I had a lot of interest growing up and that was certainly one of the main focuses or main interests. But my first inclination has always been building something really kind of seeing the big picture, even in like a part-time job or whatever in high school. It's just my nature is like not to do the job description, but, oh, well, why aren't we set up this way? We should, you know, how do we make over the business top to bottom? And everyone would look at me like, who is this 15 year old or 16 year old Like, and that's why great. is she interested in these things? You know, but that's just the way I've always thought.
0: So your initial track would have been entrepreneurship of something on some level yeah, and right. you landed into entrepreneurship in fashion design and happened to have be an entrepreneur with style.
1: Yeah. My first, declared major in college was interior design because I felt like that was more practical than fashion design. (laughs)
0: That's funny you say that because I was totally going to guess that and use that as an example.
1: Yeah, that was what I first studied because I thought, well, fashion is not practical and art is not practical. And those are not things that can be real careers when you grow up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. So I'll do interiors. And my mom was always very interested in interiors and she been letting me decorate my own bedroom. I mean, really call the shot since I was very young, fully. I had a very adult bedroom at like the age of, um, you know, eight years old because I really enjoyed designing. And that, that just seemed like a practical choice. But then halfway through my college career, I switched over to fashion, and which was always an interest as well. So I've I've always had a lot of interest.
0: So your degree is in fashion or business?
1: My degree is in fashion, and I also studied studio art, and I also studied interior design. So,
0: Yeah, very cool. And we'll get to the studio art here in in a little bit. (laughs) Um, That's interesting. And the reason I was kind of digging through there is because I'm in a similar situation where I come at my art, my creativity, my aesthetic through a business-minded side. Right. Because I did not go to photography school. I went to business right. school and I came into photography mid-30s, so it was a almost a pre-midlife career shift, but it was always there. Uh, like you were saying that you were, you know, you decorated your room when you were really young, photography and the right side of my head was still there, but I never really watered it. I went and tended the fields on the left side of my brain. And then through the astute wisdom of my wife, she's like, you know what? (laughs) You should do this photography thing because I think you really, really dig it. So as you were telling that story, I was seeing some parallels in my track because I, you know, started out on the, the business side or I would, I actually would call myself the CEO of my photography company also. Because I do everything from soup to nuts, including the creative.
1: Absolutely, and I was actually thinking about you as I was waiting for your call tonight, and how you definitely are kind of like that left brain, right brain person, similar to me. And and also, I mean, here you are you you've started this podcast. Yeah, you know that, that it's it is like, a creative extension. <laughs> it's a creative extension, but I I think that. It's like a very outdated view that people have to follow this one cookie cutter path in their career, you know, especially as entrepreneurs. And I used to sort of view people that were doing a million different things as sort of like, You just don't have your shit together.
0: Right. It's like, come on, make up your mind.
1: (laughs) Like, Make up your mind. You can't be like great at everything. But it's not about being great at everything. It's like we live in a world where you don't have to have one career if that's not what you want to do. You know, that is you true. Can, and, and we live in, and we have this technology now. You can dabble in everything that you want to and, and find the things that resonate with you and resonate with, you know, your audience or whatever. And it's a wonderful thing. And I no longer look at, you know, <laughs> these people that are doing all of these different things as being, you know, misguided. I, I look at it with a healthy Envy. I'm like, this is great, you know.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like, I get this is that. Am,
1: this is wonderful.
0: You know, we want to build things and then blow it up and then build some, build something right. else, uh, or or take it to the its its farthest degree and then okay, it's run its course, torch it because I'm going to go do this now. Right. So it's not be good at everything, but be good at well, it could be be good at a lot of things, just maybe not all at one time. Right. For me, it does require some
1: focus. (laughs) Well, when focus is important. I'm very focused. But no, I was thinking about you before this. And yeah, I I appreciate creatives or non-creatives, whoever, you know, whatever you're doing in your life. I, I appreciate just being able to run after it if it's something that you're interested in and something that excites you.
0: How long did you consider closing Leona before you closed it?
1: You know, honestly, a few years Yeah. (laughs) to to tell you the truth, because of that, it really wasn't like a business thing. It was actually the reason I stayed in it is because the business was almost self-sustaining at that point. I had a really solid audience that I wanted to provide for. Um, I felt unfulfilled, so I just knew that creatively that it wasn't sustainable, right?
0: That makes sense, and would it be okay to say that I was picking up on that during our shoots?
1: Maybe, yeah. yeah I didn't. Sure. I didn't
0: fully know you, especially early on, because I, gosh, how many? How many look books did we shoot together? Three, four, five. And
1: that was towards the end, you know. Right, that right. was. That was. That was in the last. It, we shot a lot together, but that was in the last few seasons. So. I probably knew, I just wasn't sure. I didn't have like an end game. I wasn't like, I wasn't planning anything. I just knew that I wasn't, my heart wasn't in it in the long run.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm glad you said that because even however many years ago that was, I think about those shoots every now and then just because I, I get in my head and if I'm trail running and I'm in my head, it just goes where <laughs> wherever it goes. And I, I kind of just let it wander because uh, I'm not looking out for cars. I'm not going to get hit by a dump truck. It's just, you know, watch out for the rocks and roots. And when I run, it's that's my alone time. It's when I let my mind run free because my body's running free. And I will awesome. Awesome. I will often end up <laughs> drudging some memories, digging through some memories mm-hmm. and. Those shoots with you came to mind on a run within a couple months ago and knowing where you are now, I could look back with the hindsight and go, you know what? I bet that when we were shooting those, I bet there was, you know, and I know you said there wasn't an end game in mind, but I bet there was something cooking on the back burner that
1: this was winding
0: down (laughs) that maybe you sensed it was winding down.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely knew. that. I didn't know what, you know, I had some ideas about what that next step was, but I wasn't really certain. So,
0: yeah, that's interesting. I'll dig through the archives and I'll pull up some some shots from those lookbook thing and put it in the show notes so people can get an idea of what your line looked like. Cause it was, I I thought it was just, it was fabulous. It was, it was everything you you. described it with, you know, Southern and preppy, but there was still a chicness to it and it was very feminine and it was elegant and it was very cool.
1: Thank you.
0: Not something I expected to come from Alabama. (laughs) Although, from a deep south, southern genteel, southern charm sort of thing, It's it was completely Alabama.
1: Yeah, but not like in a – well, I tried anyway for it to not be like too stereotypical, you know, all of that.
0: The southern girls at my best friend's wedding.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: so. With the flower hats.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: Did you ever design with houndstooth?
1: Actually – so I, the speaking way of that Alabama I, and Crimson <laughs> the Tide, way, the way that I started my company was all through college. I worked for a store called the shirt shop in Tuscaloosa, which has been around since the seventies and is really just an iconic store in that college town. And I've been offered a job in New York city that was sort of like this amazing job that I was very excited about in the fashion world. And My plan was to move back the moment I graduated because I had like a course or two to finish. And as I'm finishing up that last semester, I am working in the store and doing the math about how am I going to survive in New York on this salary Uh, because I did not come from a background where I would have, you know, extra support, like I would really have to do it on my own. And... I'm doing the math and going, oh, my God, I'm going to, like, starve to death, literally. Like, I don't even know if I can, like, afford enough ramen to, like, sustain me on this and pay New York rent and all of this. And I quickly kind of came to the very disappointing, at that point in my life, a conclusion that that just wasn't in the cards for me. So I was trying to come up with a way to make all of my dreams come true without doing that. And that was really okay, well, I'm going to bring the, the, the fashion world to me. I'm going to do what I want to do without the years of experience and everything that you know, my original plan, which was, you know, go work for someone for five plus years and, you know, figure out how they're doing it and then do it for yourself or whatever, which was still quite ambitious, but it was something that kind of came out of desperation. You know, I, I, I said, well, I'm not going to give up my dream, so I'm going to find a way to start a fashion business somehow, some way. Mm -hmm. And um, I went to the guy I was working for who has still been like a major part of my life and is super influential and incredible entrepreneur, Charles Sperlin, and said, what if I design some game day stuff? You know, that's what we called it, game day game day fashion <laughs> for the store and will you sell it and he said absolutely and I'll actually I'll pay for the materials for you to be able to create whatever you want and then you can work out the rest and so I had no upfront costs I was you know making the patterns myself I graded the patterns I don't know if you know what that even means but like you might but that's actually like grading the sizes of the patterns. I did that by hand because I didn't have any money. So I was going to one of my old college professors and saying, like, can you teach me how to grade a pattern? Because <laughs> I need to, like, save this $200. Right. That's how desperate I was. And I had his seamstresses help me sew the samples. I sewed most of them myself. And it did really well. I I don't really remember the numbers, but it did really well. And that was the money that I used to start Leona. I did that and I sold my car and it was like, you know, at the end of the day, something like $7,000 that I had left over just because, you know, I was supporting myself. And so that was what I started the company with.
0: That's a great story.
1: And so, yes. That was all houndstooth. So it was all houndstooth. <laughs> it, it was all houndstooth. <laughs> like
0: I had I never saw it in your line, but I didn't nope. see like all of your lines. So I thought maybe, maybe early on. We had start with I tooth.
1: designed like, so much houndstooth. You, you were done. <laughs> I never want to design a houndstooth again.
0: <laughs> Do you still wear it?
1: Do I still wear it? Do
0: you wear it on game day?
1: Houndstooth? I yeah. don't think I actually have. I like Houndstooth. That's a very classic pattern. It's not, I mean, it's, it's just totally timeless. I just don't happen to have any, but I, I actually just wear an Alabama sweatshirt that I've had since I was like 10 years old. Nice. Day,
0: so. Nice. And what's your husband's college affiliation?
1: He is actually from my same hometown. Okay.
0: So, so you both bleed red.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, That's we're awesome. we're
1: really really odd here in New York. So. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Tell me about the path from Alabama to Nashville to New York. There was Paris in there somewhere.
1: Well, I actually spent I think 3 or 4 years in Atlanta. That's where I launched my company. And so, well, I launched it out of like my parents' house for a few months in the moment I had even barely enough to cover rent I yeah <laughs> moved as quickly as i could which is before i even delivered my first season so um yeah i lived in atlanta for a while and that's where it was a very pragmatic choice i loved living there actually but it was centrally located within the southeast that's where i had my first customers there's a great apparel mart and then i met my husband And we went back and forth on who would move where. And I said, look, I've been working 20 hours a day (laughs) the whole time I've been living here. It's not like I like have a life outside of my business. So I'll move there. You definitely have more roots where you are than I do. So that's when I moved to Nashville. That was amazing. We were there for, I think, four years. It felt like longer because I was visiting him long distance for such a long time while I was living in Atlanta. I already felt like a part of the community, but then we felt like it was a change and New York made sense for both of our careers because he's in finance and, you know fashion so this is sort of the epicenter yeah
0: that's where else you're gonna go
1: (laughs) right I mean it was it was a no-brainer I mean
0: there are other places but not of course not quite (laughs) not quite (laughs) that's awesome and Paris was in there as
1: Paris was like a trip you know okay just trips that was the first time and you know I actually had to get a passport for that trip that the Nashville Fashion Forward Fund you know provided that trip for me but like That was the first time I'd ever needed a passport in my life. So it was it was a major moment for me to travel internationally. I mean, I was like, I've been dreaming about this my entire life. And I'm such a traveler at heart that it was it was huge. It was huge for me.
0: How many times have you been?
1: I don't even know. I've lost count because... That's um, a good
0: problem to have.
1: Yeah. You know, if I had known this at that time, I would have chosen a different location. <laughs> with my fund award, I didn't know Paris was going to become such a major part of my career in my life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, when I started working with Brandon at Brandon Maxwell, which we haven't talked about, but I was going to Paris like a few times a year. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I've been... I don't know eight nine times. I don't. I'm not sure.
0: So why Paris and not Milan?
1: Paris is the epicenter of fashion in
0: the world. There you go. Period. There you go. I have yet to make it to Paris. It will happen. Uh, it just has not happened yet. We have we've been to Italy and a few other countries in Europe, but uh, have not made it to France
1: yet. You have to go. <laughs> yes,
0: we do. Yes, we do. Okay, so you had mentioned Brandon Maxwell. So you go from Mm -hmm. CEO of Leona to COO at Brandon Maxwell.
1: Which is all semantics, really, because no one had the title of CEO. I was really operating as CEO. For Brandon. Okay. He was really operating as creative director. It was the same role, especially in the beginning. I mean, I wasn't designing the collection. As the company grew, I had to build a team and I further siloed myself into more of an operational role because that's just the nature of what was needed. But it was building and managing that business.
0: It was right. amazing. So it, it took the left brain operations off of Brandon so he could focus on right brain. Right, right. How did you meet?
1: One of my very very closest friends who actually went to Alabama and then we lived in Atlanta at the same time and now we live in New York at the same time so we've sort of had this amazing serendipitous friendship where we just happen to end up in all the same places but she's a mutual friend and we met at her birthday party and the timing was really perfect because I was in the middle of really winding things down with Leona and he was in the middle of launching his company and I think I joined him in November and he had just had his first collection debut in September so it was just like a couple months in to the formation of his business
0: and how long were you there two years two years Mm -hmm. I thought that was a rather short window.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's all relative, you know, a lot happened in two years. Well, sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, and I would imagine at the pace that a line like Brandon's would have, there's a lot crammed into that two year time window.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, it was explosive. So.
0: How many shows or lines did he release in that two years?
1: Oh God. Uh. When I first started, we were only doing two major collections a year, and then we started doing pre collections so we were doing four collections a year. So I don't, I don't really know. Uh, maybe six. I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure.
0: Is he still going? Oh yeah. Good.
1: He's the new host on. Uh, I'm sorry. The new judge on uh, the new reboot of Project Runway on Bravo. So. Oh well, that's cool yeah
0: I was unaware of that because we uh we cut the cable cord when we moved
1: yeah (laughs) so
0: we, we followed project runway back when you and I were working together but when we moved to this house four years ago we just never reconnected cable for television so I I didn't I had not known that so that's really cool
1: yeah no they're doing amazing and I'm I'm still in touch with really everyone on the team and yeah it's like a it's just another family
0: that's awesome Let's take a quick break for this episode's nonprofit spotlight selected by our guest. Lauren has chosen Samuel Waxman Cancer Research Foundation.
1: Here's why. I got involved with the Waxman Foundation, which is Cancer Research Foundation, a few years ago. Actually, it was right as I was winding down Leona. And I wanted to spend some time giving back. And they were making a lot of great progress in brain cancer research. And that's what they, um, they don't focus entirely on brain cancer. They, they focus on a lot of different types of cancer, but they are focused on collaborative research. And what Dr. Samuel Waxman has done is he has formed this amazing brain trust of doctors and scientists who are researching and really achieving incredible breakthroughs in new ways to approach treatments. And they've actually had some incredible landmark moments. And they were at that time they were making um, a lot of progress in, in brain cancer specifically. And that's what brought me to them because that's how I lost my own mother and but it's waxmancancer.org and it's an it's an incredible foundation and I've really been able to see it from the inside and they're real you know I think we all kind of get nervous about like who to give our money to and is it going where they say it's going and this is real. This is no um, smoke and mirrors. The money is going directly to these doctors and scientists who are creating and, and researching better ways to treat cancers or trying to understand why cancer is happening in certain you know, age groups or whatever. And it's really inspiring. And I'm, I've given back to them in the past and, I, and I'll and i continue to do so. And I hope that your listeners will as well.
0: To learn more about Samuel Waxman Cancer Research Foundation, please visit this episode's show notes at CollectedClan.com slash Lauren Phelps, where you'll find additional info about WaxmanCancer.org. Now let's return to our conversation with our guest, Lauren Phelps. So you mentioned your mother. And it has been obvious, just following you on Facebook and getting to know you and your sister uh, in person, that your mother sounded like a really, really remarkable person. Tell me about her.
1: She was. And all children are are biased of their parents and, you know, everyone has these glorious stories to tell about those that have passed, but she was the real deal. And she was really just a spectacular person. And there's so much I could say about her. I could like fill an entire hour or two with (laughs) everything I have to say about my mother, but she is the reason that I am who I am, that I do what I do, that I'm driven in the way that I am. I mean, from a very early age, she, very early. I remember her telling me, you know, not in a cliche way, but in a very heartfelt way, you can do what whatever it is that you want to do and you will make a life for yourself and you're not going to be dependent on someone else. And, you know, this is what's important. And, She was so dedicated to giving us a head start that she didn't have. I mean, she did not have an education. She did not come from a privileged background at all. And her whole life was about giving us all the things that she never had. Never in a pushy way. Just simply, I want you to be the best that you can be, but I'm going to let you steer this. And I'm so thankful that I ever had her. I mean, I don't even know how I could be a mother to Sam, my son, who was seven months old, without having had her. I mean, if I can be a fraction of what she was for me, then I'm doing something right.
0: I remember uh, seeing a photo you posted recently. It was a photo of your son, your infant mm-hmm. son, looking at a photo of your mom.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and what you said about the photo was he knows her I'm sure
1: yeah and I yeah I felt that way when I was pregnant with him um you know I just felt this connection to my mother and like she was so she was a preschool teacher her gift was children That was her gift in life. She could make anyone smile. She especially connected with children. She never met a stranger. She never judged anyone. She was just wanted people to feel good. She could definitely be irreverent and funny, but she was just loving. And, you know, the children in our neighborhood would flock to her. We had little kids that would come knock on our door growing up and say, you know, we want to see Miss Johnny Faye you know what kids of the neighborhood are coming to play with an adult but that was like the connection that she had with children she always talked about being a grandmother so it never in a pressure I never felt pressured to do anything with my mother in my life but like I knew that she very much looked forward to that moment should it happen you know something that I knew that she looked forward to. So it was heartbreaking when I was, when I first, you know, found out that I was going to have a son and going to have this baby who would never knew her, know her. But at the same time, I felt she had a major hand in it all. And actually I was on a, you know, my, you know, my little sister, Michelle, Uh and we were on a beach trip together and it was sort of like this trip we were supposed to take with my mom that we didn't get to take because she passed around that time. And we had talked about taking this trip together every year. Oh, we have to do this trip. We have to do this trip. And it was coming up on the five-year anniversary. And I called my sister and said, we are doing this trip. Pause everything in your life. I don't care what's happening where this has to be the year that we do the trip. So we went and reminisced and had all this time together that we never had to grieve after her passing. And We didn't really grieve. We just celebrated who she was and did all the things that she would have wanted to do and listened to the music that she would have wanted to listen to and all of these wonderful things. And I had been telling everyone in my life, my husband who had been like begging me, it's time for a kid. It's time for babies. I was just like, no, 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 now is not the time. And we got to the end of that trip and I said, you know, Michelle, I think, no, I know I'm ready to have a baby. And she said, what? And I said, yes, I just, I feel like this was this whole moment, this whole trip, everything that we've shared is what I needed to like move forward because, you know, we didn't live in the same place for very long after she passed. It was only like two months before I moved to New York. It was like very fast. So I was just quickly separated from everything. We never had that time together. I said, I, you know, I didn't know at the time, it wasn't like a conscious thing that like, oh, I know I needed to have this, but I just, we got to the end of that trip and I said, okay, like I'm ready to have a baby. Little did I know I was actually pregnant.
0: I trip. was hoping you were going to say that. That's so exciting. I seriously was. You're sitting here telling the story. I'm like, please tell me you're already pregnant when you're on yeah, this trip.
1: I was a week pregnant. I was like barely pregnant, but I was pregnant. I and, love it. Um, so I love it. It was just like, but I just feel like she had such a hand in it from, like, the get-go. I think she was like, okay, Lauren, like, you know, she was kind of gently pushing me, like, go have this time with your sister. Like, these moments, you know, are far and few between. Like, your time is running out in a a way. And uh, it was amazing. And so, no, I feel like she's been there all along. I totally feel like Sam knows her. So...
0: Oh, that's that's fantastic. I love that. That's how that story ended because as you were telling it, that's how I ended it in my mind.
1: <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little long-winded. Sometimes. That, no,
0: no, no, no. That's good. That, that's fantastic. I want to stay on this motherhood thing for a little bit because I'm curious how now being a mother for these handful of months that you have been, how has that impacted your work and what you do and your world?
1: Well, I've always been a little bit of a workaholic, <laughs> so <laughs> um, it has been this force that, like, you can't deny. Or I could, I couldn't deny. Everyone has their own lives, their own their own ways, and their own, you know, what feels right to them, and that's wonderful. But for me, it was definitely like this force that I felt like, okay, this is time to put on the brakes, which is saying a lot for someone that has always worked the hours that I have and has always just been sort of all or nothing. And that's, you know, that's a big reason why that I I left Brandon. I just felt like this, something is forcing me, not that motherhood was forcing me to resign from my job where that felt like I couldn't do it all. It wasn't about that. It was like, there's this other thing that is forcing me to like recognize something happening beneath the surface like I need to I need to take a step back and figure out what that is and you know no one can prepare you for what it's like to be a parent which I know that you probably can relate to that oh oh yes (laughs) (laughs) no one no one can tell you every and everyone says you have no idea what it's going to be like yeah. and you have no idea what it's going to be like. That's
0: why there are no <laughs> no books written on that single topic.
1: No, it's, it's it's impossible and it's it's just incredible. There have been very trying times, but honestly I feel so grateful. I mean, he is he's he's such a dream. He's so He's not perfect, but he's perfect. You know what I think? That's how every parent feels about their child, right? Like it's like this perfection that it's like why the word perfection was invented. There is no perfection, but there is perfection in your child.
0: Yep. (laughs) That's a good way to explain it.
1: It's that type of love. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing.
0: That it is. And should you decide to do it, a second time or a third time and catch up with us, yeah. <laughs> it, it it takes on like, it's just another layer. And then it's another layer. I heard it described as another room built on to the house of your heart.
1: Right. Where, it's like I where can't you even make imagine room for someone else. A second child. Yes. You know, as yes. much as I love Sam, but at the same time, you, you know, it's possible because yes. I've like witnessed it. You know, yes. I, I, I witnessed my mother loving, My sister and I both unconditionally and both the same and both so differently. Yes. So I've I've seen it, but it's so hard to imagine when you have this being in your life that you love more than you ever knew was possible. And you're like, really? I can really love something else the same as you? Yeah. (laughs) Is that possible? Well,
0: it's similar to (laughs) the room that was built on when he came.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: another one will be built on if the next one comes. Right. So it's, it's not that you have to divide the current volume of love and intimacy for that person. You gain more love and intimacy Absolutely. as you yeah. gain another person. There was a, a guy that s- spoke into me and he didn't even realize he did it. Uh, he knows it now. Cause I've told him repeatedly but years ago, okay. So Megan and I waited. We were married eleven years before our first child
1: really? was born. Yes,
0: uh, and that was by design. Well,
1: you both still look like babies. So good <laughs> that for was you. Uh,
0: uh, well. That's all her fault. I'm, I look youngish, sort of. Not really, just because I have to keep up with her. <laughs> and I was talking to him one morning. We were having breakfast. And we were still a couple years away from having kids, and he was telling me about his boys and all this stuff. I was like, dude, I just cannot even imagine what it's like to be a family or to have a family and be responsible for another person, their well-being, their livelihood, all all that stuff. And I was getting my freelance career off, so it you know, just like we've never really been rolling in it, but we certainly weren't rolling in it then. Uh, so it literally was a, I was, I was griping about not having the means for something that we wanted. And, and he, he waved his hand and he stopped me. He's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I need you to know that every baby brings his own loaf of bread. And that so just just really resonated with me. And that was a calm and a soothing feeling. It was like, ah, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, maybe we are closer than we think we are <laughs> and right. and I can attest to that. every one of my children has brought their own loaf of bread, and it has been it's been remarkable,
1: yeah, no, because there's something magical about the way you learn to operate, right? Yes, like it it's like I can't work on the weekends right now because I can't, but I like I just learn to operate. And they just bring so much love and so much into your life that, like, they bring their own life of bread. I love they, that. They That's do.
0: Amazing. Isn't that a yeah. great saying?
1: Yeah, I know. It's amazing.
0: I love that. I've been kind of, I don't want to say Facebook stalking, but I mean, it's out there. You know, I mean, we're friends, we're connected. You post yeah. photos, I post stuff. We, we, we see each other, we see things. And um, I can tell that you are a creative at heart because you also use words really well. For example, that he knows her, I'm sure. Right. That was a very simple, <laughs> but it's a very poignant caption to that photo. Another one I remember seeing, and this is actually one that kind of put you on my, I need to have her on my show radar. It was a photo of you right after his birth and you're just, you know, radiant new mom glow, which is just magic. I remember that with Megan and it's <laughs> a very cool thing. And you said in the, the caption, worth it. And suddenly, it all makes sense.
1: <laughs>
0: what made sense?
1: Everything. It's like the culmination of life, right? It's like, And I, I'm, I'm sensitive about that because I don't want anyone to, that doesn't have kids to feel like I'm saying they're missing out on something. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if it is a part of your life, then... It just suddenly all makes sense. I, I there are no words for it, honestly. If you choose not to have children, if you can't have children, you can live the most fulfilled life. It's it's not like that. But for me and I know for so many others, like suddenly it all makes sense. Your life up until now, your you know, how you want to move forward, your partnership, your, your struggles, your triumphs, like it all has like a whole other level of meaning. Does that make sense? It it
0: really does. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It really does. Yeah. I was just curious what all meant
1: in and that I just come out of, like, a really grueling labor and, like, things that you don't want to talk about in a podcast, and I don't either. Yeah. Um, but, it's, but that's all very surface stuff. You know, that's not really what I was talking about. It's just it, it all makes sense. Your whole, for me, for me in my life. Everything that you've gone through, everything, my relationship with my mother, losing my mother, my relationship with my father, like all of those complications and like all of those layers of love and struggle and ambition and, and all the things that we're chasing in life. Like, it's like that thing that brings you back yeah. to say, this is life. And for me, I'm the type of person that, like, I needed that.
0: Yeah, this is life with a capital L. Yeah. It has now become even more sacred than it already was. Right. Were you pregnant when you left Brandon Maxwell?
1: Yeah, I was, uh, I want to say I was, Or was like, he already born? No, I was pregnant. Okay. Um I don't remember how many months. Maybe I was five months. Okay. Six months. Somewhere around there.
0: Did that inform your decision to move away from Brandon Maxwell company and into your thing? Or was it just time to move from Brandon Maxwell? I to, think it to all kind thing? of
1: just came together. Yeah. You know, like I don't like to say it was the pregnancy. I don't like to say it wasn't. I you know, I just think that there are so many factors into any decision that we make. And I'm not the type of person who would say, Oh, I'm pregnant. I'm gonna take a st- step back from my career. That's not who I am at all. And that's great if that's who you are fantastic i'm not saying that in any sort of way but for me that's not what it meant for me for me it just meant uh all of these things are lining up and these things are happening career-wise and personally and yeah i mean it just it was it was good timing i don't know
0: yeah well things things line up this is collected clan thank you for listening to these conversational biographies about real life with relatable guests We operate on a listener-supported system, so the conversations remain honest and real without beholding to companies or products. Instead of interrupting the show with paid advertisements unrelated to our mission, we prefer to promote nonprofit organizations. If you find value in what we're doing here on Collected Clan, please visit our website at www.collectedclan and click the Support tab to learn how you can financially support this show for as little as $5 a month. Thank you for your support. And now back to this conversation. At this point, you've left Brandon Maxwell, and tell me about what you went to. What are you doing now?
1: Right after I resigned, I was pregnant. I actually had some job offers right before I left, but these are these are job offers from people you know doing the same role, CEO or CEO or whatever, for other luxury fashion labels and. Of course, they didn't know I was pregnant when they were offering me these things. And I wasn't seeking out other um, opportunities. It's just the nature of what happens. And so I knew that the, that those were options. But I knew that I also wasn't interested regardless of my pregnancy. And I didn't know why. And it didn't really matter to me why. I just knew that I needed to do something else at that moment in time. And, but I didn't know what that was. And I was pregnant. So it's not like if I went, if I went into any job interview situation or they would immediately say like oh mm," you know like whether they could actually say it or not
0: well they can't say it
1: (laughs) that's not an ideal time to um start it's just you know that that's life and so art has always been a huge part of my life and my mother was an artist my father is an artist not by trade or profession just they are I think it's just something that you are, whether you declare it or not. And so I was, you know, painting and drawing and uh, with my mother before. You know, it's just a, it's been a part of my life as much as anything is a part of my life. So I really wanted to take some time to get back to that. And I started taking some classes locally and I did a painting for Brandon for his birthday and I started getting a lot of purchase requests and that sort of thing and it just sort of all happened organically so now I'm I'm working as an artist I'm selling my work but for me the art is like my sacred place and I don't want it to ever not be because that's when it becomes something that I don't want it to be in my life I don't want it to I don't want it to become where I feel like I'm creating for a brand or create, you know, I just want it to be this therapeutic thing in my life, but also I'll protect that for the people that want to share in that with me. I, I want to make sure that their investment is, is a sound investment. I mean, I take it seriously, you know, I'm not just playing or dabbling like it's a very it's 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 a serious thing in my life at the same time I just don't want it to come at it from that place does that make sense it does yes (laughs) so you know I want to create something that is some I'm I'm painting and I'm doing um, mixed media art and it it has a lot of meaning for me but I also it's not about that for someone else that might find beauty in it. You know, it's about whatever they, whatever they see in it. And it's been amazing. I mean, it really, it's like the whole process of it is just, it's something that I've always enjoyed. It's always been a part of my life. I feel very blessed that it can fill this part of my life and will always be a major part of my future. You know, it's, you know, just disappointed that I let it not be a part of my life for such a long time because it is an extension of me and it always has been. So I feel like I almost like turned my back on art for a long time and I'm really excited to get back to it. And I'm thrilled that people are finding something that, um, you know, gives them joy or, you know, that they're finding something that resonates with them in it.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a very cool pieces. I've enjoyed seeing what you've shared and uh, cruising on your website, website, too. Thank you. I dig them a lot. How do you choose the various media when you do a mixed media piece, and why do you choose those?
1: Well, I the whole thing kind of started off very organically because um, I had a bunch of leftover fabrics from my time with Leona, actually, and I had them here, and – I started playing with them on canvas and um, or on wood or attaching them to whatever. And there was this particular textile that had like an open weave and I didn't have to glue. It was like a very like organic process. If I painted through it, it became a part of the work. And then I could utilize all of my knowledge of fabric techniques. I mean, I'm, you know, I have all of that design background. So I could pleat it, I could fray it, you know, I could do all these things with it and incorporate it into my art. So it wasn't something that I like, oh, what's my, you know, (laughs) what's my vision for? It just, you know, it just happened. And and now I'm sort of like addicted to it, if that makes sense, like the, the texture and the building of it, which is no surprise, given my background.
0: That makes sense, too. Mm hmm. So you, I've seen a series of various shapes overlaid across each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen figure studies, mm-hmm. both paint only and mixed media. What's your creative process like in determining what goes on to that canvas? Do you do things in series or do, you, do they just kind of... Oh, let me explore this idea and then okay, I'm gonna do five or six more and now I'm gonna explore another deer and then do five, six more, or do you go back and forth?
1: I kind of go back and forth because I feel like it depends on where I am creatively and that's the beauty of what I'm doing right now. It's not following a formula, but I'm also just sort of organized in thought anyway. So sometimes I just need a day where I'm not thinking about anything and I'll go in and play, but the majority of the time I'm searching for something. So I will start working on multiple pieces at once that have like the same origin of thought, whatever that is, you know, a collection, a series, whatever you want to call it. I, I really go back and forth. Depends on where I am.
0: Well, it's really cool stuff. I'll pull some photos of some key pieces, put in the show notes. We'll share those <laughs> and and all that. I want people to see it because it's it's really cool. And I love the muted color tones. It's just very, it's actually very New York.
1: I feel like it's, you know, pulling it all together. I feel like it's New York. I feel like it's architectural, but I also feel like there's something raw about it. Mm-hmm. That feels like a part of the South.
0: Do you see brighter, vibrant colors coming into future pieces or do you think you'll stay with the muted naturals and then the stark black and white?
1: Well, you know, I, I love this monochromatic. I, I lo- In fashion, I love things that are monochromatic like a full look and I, there's just like an impact to that you know, I was creating from a lot of that's from like our family lake house. I was in this like very serene surroundings. So that kind of came through in the work that the, the color palettes has this sort of organic and natural feel. But I think that I also, you know, love really graphic things as well. Like a lot of contrast, like black, you know, paired with you know, white and blue and green or whatever it is. And there's some of that when I was starting this time last year, I guess, when I was kind of figuring out what direction I wanted to go artistically. So yeah, at this point in my life, it's like never say never about anything, whether it's like a life choice or something in art or something in career, like just never say never.
0: Yeah. I think one of the reasons I resonate with the monochromatic stuff that you're doing currently is because of my deep, deep, deep affection for black and white photography. Yeah. A a lot of my personal work, I've just stripped the color out of it. We don't live in a black and white world. I know we live in a colorful world and it's beautiful, but there's something about pulling out the distraction of color where everything becomes about the subject of the mm-hmm. photo because like for a bridal portrait, for example, there's not a bouquet of red flowers that's going to compete with the actual subject of the photo, which is not the dress, the girl in the dress. Um,
1: right. No, but, totally. and,
0: and if it were color, it's like, wh- where's my eye going to go? Well, it's likely going to land on this red bouquet of flowers mm-hmm. unless well, one I rarely have bouquets in bridal portraits that I do because there needs to be no competition of beauty. It's all about the girl, and if there were, then I would strip the color out, and then it again becomes about the girl, and she's just got this you know standard wedding day prop. Obviously, in commercial work, you know when you're working for a client doing a black and white lookbook of a Leona
1: <laughs> seasonal,
0: line, that would not make sense. Right. So, so the, you know there are times when color is necessary. But for for my work, for my freelance work, for my personal work, I just love stripping out the color and just taking it down to this is the essence of what is in this photograph, whether it's a client, a person or my child or a landscape or whatever. There's something about monochromatic and maybe it's it's that combined with it's 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 the real world, but it's different than the actual world.
1: makes it somewhat of
0: a fantasy of sorts
1: with photography for sure. Yeah. It's like, I mean, painting is all fantasy. So it also depends on what your focus is, right? If you want it to be composition, if you want it to be shapes, if you strip it down, then the focus is what you want it to be. And that's with what I'm doing. That's kind of where I'm coming from. Yeah. I'm very interested in texture and shape and composition right now. And I don't want the distraction to be 50 colors in a in a work or five colors in a work. I want it to be about these other things. Or maybe it's about the brushstroke. Or maybe it's about a little bit of play or transparency or having to search through the work to see whatever it is. The reflection of something showing... Um, on the other side of the canvas or, I mean, there's a lot of different directions you can go with it, but that's kind of why the monochromatic makes sense to me. And I can definitely see why you're drawn to it right now as well.
0: Yeah. I love talking to artists. (laughs) 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 I really do. Uh, yeah, it's fun. I have often said that my creative envy is painting. So I have a deep admiration for visual artists who are painters. Largely because I suck at it.
1: <laughs> Mine singing It's not a visual it? <laughs> art, but it's like another art. And uh, if I could sing, yeah,
0: I, I I will I will say in some hope that I currently suck at it because I actually intend to try to learn the craft of painting because can certainly because learn I've it. always loved it. And one of the reasons I was drawn to photography is because I could put all of that visual aesthetic and how to confine something to a rectangle or a square, how to compose things. I can put that inside the lens of a camera and and let the camera do the drawing, if you will, Mm -hmm. Uh, do the recording of the drawing. But at some point I'm going to sit my butt down and try (laughs) to study the craft of doing that with brushes and paint and a canvas.
1: Honestly, so am I. <laughs> I really haven't like focused on the craft. It's been more about the art. So that's one of my goals as well. So. But
0: it's working for you. When I have tried to just, I'll just call it wing it uh, and go in and just make something happen. You know, it just looks like spaghetti. <laughs> I mean,
1: But you know, no artists are totally winging it. Maybe if they've been it for many, many, many years and have really honed their craft and they've earned that ability to just totally wing it. But even then, I doubt it. I think there's yeah. a lot more intention than any artist would have you believe.
0: Yeah, that's true. I set a goal a few years ago of painting three paintings. And by the time, I think it was December 29th rolled around, I finished the third. So mm-hmm. I actually have attempted it. Granted, it was a couple years ago and they were small, you know, eight by six inch, just little tiny things. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to practice getting paint on a utensil, whether it was a brush or a knife and putting it on the canvas and seeing if I could make it look interesting or into a shape or whatever. So, right. I need to revisit that, but my current creative outlet is what we're doing right now.
1: (laughs) Well, I love that. And I never knew you had like such a voice for this. No, really. I was like listening to some of your other conversations and I was like, is that? Yeah, that is him. And that's the way he's always sounded. And this is such a natural thing for you to be doing. <laughs> so.
0: Well, that, that's good to hear because I'm, I'm having fun with it. And uh, one of the reasons I love portrait photography also is because you're not just photographing the person in front of the lens the form in front of the lens, but you're photographing the person in front yeah. of the lens. And there's so much more to that person than what he or she walks in the door with. That's that's visibly apparent. You know, when you take the time to have a slow portrait session and you, you could really drag that personality out, that's done through conversation and that's done through relationship and knowing things about each other and then... You get that magic moment. There's a uh, one of my favorite scenes. I'm going to get like total chick flick geeky here.
1: <laughs> if you haven't
0: seen it, there's a movie called Somewhere in Time. Uh, no, it stars a very young Christopher Reeve and a very young Jane Seymour.
1: Amazing.
0: And she plays like an old, elegant. Uh, it's set up in, uh, up north, so it's not like a, a southern bell thing. But she's a, a theater actor, like a. Uh, an actress in a play stage actress and she falls in love with this christopher reeve character and uh, backstage uh, in the intermission of one of her plays she has to sit for a um, headshot and it's one of those old eight by ten view cameras you know where the guy's got to get under the black hood and hold the the flash stick up but it's it's set back in the early 1900s And this photographer is trying to just, okay, let's have a little frill. You know, let's get a little light in your eyes. You know, it's everything that a photographer would do to direct somebody to get a reaction. And when Christopher Reeve's character simply walks behind the photographer and she looks up at him and lights up and it was the softest smile. And that's when the photographer got it. I was like, yeah, good try, buddy. But it wasn't really about what you were doing. It's about what she brought to the camera. Right. So this is a uh, non-photographic version of that.
1: <laughs> oh, I love that, that. That's what
0: I love about uh, doing these calls and pulling these podcasts together and telling other people's stories because it's a uh, it's oh, kind of a, yeah. it's like an audio portrait, if you will.
1: Definitely. I love that. That's. You must yeah.
0: find that movie and watch it because I think you would love it.
1: Oh, I absolutely will.
0: The music is great too.
1: Yeah, And, and great, um, great talent in that. So I, yes. I, I'm excited to check it out.
0: Yep. If you could have one more conversation with your mom what would you talk about? Oh my gosh
1: that's so hard. Oh, that is just really oh where would I begin? You know it's been so interesting having a sign and knowing so little about This part of my life, you know, like what her experience was with me as a baby, because you don't have those conversations with your parents, right? You don't talk to your kids about it's always, oh, this is what the day of your birth was like, you know, those are the things that you talk about, but it's not like this overall, this overarching experience of what it's like to become a parent and how scary it is and how incredible it is and I would want to have that conversation with her I mean there's so many conversations I'd want to have with her like countless but that yeah I would want to get deep with her on a level that you usually don't get to to have those conversations with your parents and say no really really what was that like like I was your firstborn and She was 19 years old, and what was that for her? Because now that I'm a new mom, I have a new appreciation for what that might have been. But I really don't know what that experience was like for her. And it shaped my life, obviously. Sure, it shaped hers.
0: I'm sure it did. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Well, this has been fantastic, as I anticipated it would be.
1: This yeah. is so fun.
0: It was Aren't so they fun? fun. The only thing that would make it funner is uh, I just quoted Reese Witherspoon. Is um, <laughs> speaking of sweet home Alabama, is if these were in person?
1: Oh, absolutely. And if there was more time for me to like ask you like everything that I want to know about, <laughs> about your, you know, because really that's that's what I like to do in conversation yes. as well. I'm, yes very curious about others. So,
0: well, one yeah. day we could we could make that happen somehow. Yeah.
1: Thank you again.
0: This was awesome. Yes. There you have it, a real-life conversational biography with Lauren Phelps. For more of these conversations, subscribe now at CollectedClan.com slash follow or at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode. It's free to listen. Pop over to CollectedClan.com slash Lauren Phelps for photos of her work and additional info related to this episode. What did you love about this episode? I'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note or a voice message. Your thoughts and feedback are always welcome. Our email address and phone number are also in the show notes. And a big shout out to my friends Worldwide Groove Corporation for this episode's original music. The song is Mimosa from their album Chilidesiac Lounge Volume 1. Check out more of their music at worldwidegroovecorporation.com. Thank you again for listening. Now go be you.